much I love this church. Oh, I missed you so much. It's so good to be with you guys and to be here. I felt like I was gone for forever. How can you guys have that kind of impact on my life? I have no idea. But I just really care about this church and care about you guys. Thank you for letting me do that. I'm so juiced up right now I can hardly stand it. I am so happy and excited and joyful in the Lord. What else? What else is there? What else is there? So, Pastor Dave preached last weekend. He's in Idaho this weekend visiting family. Yeah, that was incredible. Um, you know, we do three services here, one on Saturday and two on, on Sunday. And all three services, people were texting me. You know, Dave's doing a great job. Um, feel free to stay in Texas for another couple weeks. So I didn't know how to take that, you know, not so good about my speaking ability apparently, but apparently I'm a great leader um, and know how to pick the right people. Anyway, uh, yeah, I listened to it on Friday. It was such a good word, such a faithful man, and just does such an incredible job delivering God's word to us. We're so, we're so blessed. So I was in Texas. I left on, I got in Texas on, on Friday night and came back on Sunday night. And I met Pastor Mark. It's a new church in a little town called Clarksville. I think we got a picture of the water tower. Um, I take, it's kind of, my wife has this water tower thing. She likes pictures of water towers, and so I thought that would make her happy. And then it turned out it would be a great picture to show you guys. But um, I met Pastor Mark. The church started a little over a year ago. It's a home church. And I uh, met Pastor Mark uh, through a mutual friend, and we just uh, became friends through text and, and phone calls and email and just praying together over the phone and, and uh, just thought, man, if the Lord would ever have it for me to come out there, I'd just love to come pay you a visit and hug your neck. And he said, well, if you're going to hug my neck, you're going to preach. And I just said, as the Lord would have it. And um, one of the most privileged things I've ever done, uh, Clarksville is a little town two and a half hours northeast of uh, Dallas. Um, small little town of 3,000. Um, God's doing big things all across the world. He's doing incredible things in Clarksville, Texas, this tiny little town. And I'm just so pleased to know that God's doing great stuff there like he's doing great stuff here. This is Pastor Mark and Brianna, his wife. Um, This is in their home, and they took some walls, which I'll show you in a second, they kind of blew out their living room and made a little 40, 50-person sanctuary, if you will. One of the coolest things I've ever experienced. Um, I'm going to show you a real quick video, give you kind of a feel for what I'm talking about. You can see they're still doing work. They're blowing walls and painting and light pictures. It's just, it's, it's amazing. There's maybe 30 people, 30-something people there on that Sunday morning. And what an honor it was for me to be there to serve those people that are uh, just falling in love with the Lord and God's doing great things in this little tiny town called Clarksville, Texas. What a joy. So thanks for letting me do that. So cool. We, church, we're in the book of Galatians. We are in the book of Galatians. We're going to be covering verses 13 through 18. It's six verses. And in those six verses, I swear to you, there was three or four sermons. I can only preach one today. Packed, packed, packed with some good stuff for us. So turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read those six verses, then we're going to do a few things, then we're going to read those verses again. 
Galatians 5, starting in verse 13. Man, am I happy to be here. Verse 13, church, you were called to freedom. But don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, which means sinful nature. It's the word sarx, S-A-R-X in the Greek, which means sinful nature. Don't turn that freedom into an opportunity to serve the flesh, but through love serve one another, serve the spiritual nature. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In this statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Everything I hold in my hands right here, the book of God, right? God's holy word is all summed up in that statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Or if you're holding a phone, (laughs) right? The whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care or watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, Paul writes, walk by the Spirit and you won't carry out the desire of the flesh. Why? For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. But the good news is the Spirit sets its desire against the flesh. They're in opposition to one another. Why? So that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. At the close of an important speech to Congress on January 6, 1941, Uh, President Franklin D. Roosevelt shared his vision of the kind of world that he wanted to see after the war was to end. He envisioned four basic freedoms to be enjoyed by all people. He envisioned this, freedom of speech, freedom to worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. And to some degree, these freedoms have been achieved since 1941, but our world still needs another freedom, a fifth freedom, if you will. Mankind needs to be freed from himself. From the tyranny of his sinful nature. Paul writes the Galatians because certain false teachers or legalists thought that they had the answer to this problem, to the flesh or sinful nature problem, in the form of laws or threats. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, make sure you do that, don't do this, make sure you do that. But Paul explains that no amount of legislation can change man's basic sinful nature. It's not law on the outside, but love on the inside, which is the only thing that can make a difference in our lives. We need another nature, another power besides our sinful nature. We need the Holy Spirit of the Almighty God. There's at least 14 references to the Holy Spirit in the book of Galatians. We don't have time to get into all those, but what we know is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to live for Christ and to glorify Him. The Holy Spirit, church, is not simply a divine influence. He is a divine person, just as are God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son, divine persons. Warren Wiersbe says this about the Trinity. He says, what God the Father planned for you and God the Son purchased for you on the cross, God the Spirit personalizes for you and applies to your life as you yield your sinful nature to a spiritual nature. So with that, I want to reread our six verses so that we can maybe look at those verses a little differently. Let's start again at verse 13. Church, you're called to freedom. Only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity to serve the sinful nature, but serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one command, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care, or be careful, or watch out, because you'll be consumed by one another. But, 
I say, walk by the Spirit and you don't have anything to worry about. You will not carry out the desire of the flesh because the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit sets its desire against the flesh. They don't like one another. They're in opposition to one another. But the good news is that you won't end up doing the things that you please because that's nasty. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You are not under a curse. You are not under condemnation. So, here's our outline. The first three verses are calling. We are called to freedom. That's how it opens up in verse 13, right? You are called to freedom. And then our catalyst, verse 16, 17, and 18, is we desperately need the Holy Spirit that God has given to us. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, He poured out His Spirit into us. And that's our catalyst to do spiritual nature stuff, not sinful nature stuff. Amen? So we have two stanzas, our calling and our catalyst. Let's pray. God, what a privilege to open up your word that you wrote for us to instruct us, to teach us in the ways of godliness. Lord, that we can serve our spiritual nature by serving you and serving one another and not to feed our sinful nature, our flesh, by serving ourselves. Fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit. Have your way with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. So, from Galatians 1.1, which we started back in November... From Galatians 1.1 all the way to last week when Pastor Dave finished in Galatians 5 verse 12. Okay? So from 1.1 to 5.12, Paul covered two of his three major parts of the book of Galatians. Okay? The first part, if you remember, is personal. That's part one, where Paul defends the ministry and the message that God had given him. And that's primarily in chapters 1 and 2. And then the second part is doctrinal, which is primarily parts of two and then three, four, and five. Doctrinal, the message or the doctrine that Paul was defending is that you and I are justified, we're declared righteous by our faith in Jesus Christ, the work done in His flesh on the cross, not the work done in our flesh, which is by the works of the law. We're justified not in the law, not in our flesh, but by His flesh, the work He did on the cross. So it's Paul, part one is personal, part two is doctrinal. The third part is practical, and that starts at Galatians 5.13, where, right, so we have the personal part, the doctrinal part, and now we get into the practical part. So, what that means is, knowing, at this point, knowing that righteousness comes by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and that we are no longer under the curse of the law, thank you, what now? Okay, we're done, right? I got that cleared, I'm saved, I'm done. Just wait for God to return. No! How do we daily then live out our faith as followers of Christ? That's a good next question, right? So I'm saved by faith, not by the law. I'm cursed under the law. Now what? What does life look like now that we have been set free for you were called to freedom? What are we called to? That's our first stanza, our calling. Let's reread 13, 14, and 15. For you were called to freedom. But don't turn that freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in this one statement, to love our neighbor as ourselves. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. So, over the past few months, since November, Pastor Dave, Pastor Doug, and myself have duly noted and spoken at time and time again that we are not called to a life of legalism or the law or the flesh, right? We know that. Well, now, Paul, starting in verse 13, 
takes the next precaution to reveal that we are not called to the opposite extreme. So if legalism's over here, do this, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do this, do this, do this, right? That's one extreme. Paul takes us to the other extreme. He says, you're not called to a life of license either. When he says, don't give it, a, you know, don't, don't take your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. We're not to do whatever we want. I've had that mentality. Well, I'm forgiven. And so then I take liberties or license to do whatever the heck I want. We do that. Right? So, that's the opposite extreme where he says in verse 13, do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. So you have legalism and then you have license. We're not called to those extremes. Why are we so prone to extremes? One Christian interprets our freedom in Christ as license and thinks he can do whatever he wants. Another Christian, seeing this error, goes to an opposite extreme and imposes law or legalism on themselves and everybody else. So, those are the two extremes. We're not called to legalism. We're not called to license. What are we called to then? It's another L word, and it's not love, but it's close. Liberty. We're called to liberty. We have liberty or freedom in Christ. We are now, listen, we're now free by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, right? Not legalism, not license, liberty. We are now free to live and to act and to think and to conduct our lives in the way that the Lord intended for us to do from the very beginning. What more freedom could there be in our lives than to function in the capacity that we were designed to function in? No better freedom. What greater freedom and joy than for a created being to function in the way that they were designed to function? So, verse 13 says, For you were called to freedom. Okay? And then it goes a little south from there. You were called to freedom. And then two paths come up in that verse. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but turn and love and serve one another. That's it. Our freedom in Christ, we're going to go down one of two paths. That's all that we have available to us. The path of self or the path of others. That's it. Those are the two paths. One's, one path is to live for self and the other is live to serve. You can live for self or live to serve. That's it. Those are the only two options in verse 13. Live for self feeds the sinful nature. That's what flesh means. Sarks. Sinful nature. Or you can live to serve, which feeds the spiritual nature. So, path one. Live for self. Listen, church. <laughs> if we're not on our game spiritually, we are quite literally one move away from potential disaster in our lives. It's true. It's totally true. Some of us have had those disasters. When he says, only do not turn, it's a warning. Please don't turn. Be careful with your freedom. Turn this way, not that way. What is that for you? What is that for me? What flesh opportunities most compel us with our freedom in Christ? Paul's bringing it up. There's a reason. Don't take your liberty and give it as an opportunity, turn it into an opportunity for the flesh. What is that for you? 
That's something we've got to be honest with God about. Say, God, take that from me. Strengthen me in that area. Because here's the reality. Isn't life indeed nothing but a series of turns? Right? It's just a series of turns. Has everything gone exactly the way you thought it would go in your life? Actually... When it comes to my life, like it so went the way I wanted it to go, and more. So the answer is no, but it's like, thankfully, it's like it was as good and better. And then for her, she's like, it's the opposite, where she's like, I'd hoped it was going to be like this, and it's like a lot worse. But that's okay. You know, I just tell her, you know, she'll big crown, thick neck. Anyway, life, right? Life indeed is but a series of turns that greatly impact our lives, right? Those turns that happen in our lives, it impacts us. But it doesn't just impact us. It often, if not always, impacts the lives of others. So here's what happens. In the end of 17, verse 17, it says that when we go down the flesh path, we end up doing the things that we please. Ooh, nasty. In verse 15, in, in what happens with that, here's another negative thing, we end up biting and devouring one another. And we consume one another when we do the things that we please. That's the flesh path. It gets even worse. Look at verses 19, 20, and 21. Here are the deeds of the flesh, sarks, sinful nature. They are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. There's many more. When we go down that flesh path and take it as an opportunity, take our freedom in Christ as an opportunity to serve our flesh, this is the nasty stuff that happens. As opposed to going down a spiritual path and loving and serving one another. Mm. So, that's path one. Right? To live for self. Path two is to live to serve. And live for self or live to serve. Check this out. It says in verse 13 that you were called to freedom. And then he starts listing things throughout the remaining verses. It says to love, right? But through love. So we're called to love. You see the word love also in verse 14. And then in verse 13 you see to serve. We're to love and we're to serve. And then it says in verse 16 that we are to walk by the Spirit. That's what we're called to. We're to walk by the Spirit. And then in verse 17, he talks about the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit. We are to desire spiritual things. We are to desire spiritual things. And then at the end of 17, when he says that you may not do the things that you please, the opposite of doing the things that you please are the things that please God. Right? And so we're to desire the Spirit, and then we're to do spiritual things. And then in verse 18, he says we're to be led by the Spirit. So our life to serve, our calling in living a life to serve others is we're to love, we're to serve, we're to walk by the Spirit, we're to desire spiritual things, we are to do spiritual things, and we are to be led by the Spirit. Can I get an amen? Mm. So, love. Sir, love can never be love without an object of our love. Love can never be love without an object of our love. Turn to 1 John, to your right, right before the book of Revelation. It's 1 John chapter 4. First John 4, starting at verse 15. 
whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Because God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in us. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is loving, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So, let me ask you this. I, I, I don't know if you measure your life. I don't know if you measure your life where you say, huh, I'm going to take an assessment of my life once a year, once a month, whatever it is. How do you, what's, what's your measuring stick? How do you know if it's going well or not? Right? And it could be dangerous on some level if we all had a different measuring stick, right? Let me ask you this. Is your life measured by how well you love and serve others? That's what our text is pointing to. It says all, the, all, the, um, all of God's word is summarized in love your neighbor as yourself. So that's got to be a measuring stick of some sort, right? Is your life measured by how well you love and serve others? Look at verse 14. Of, go back to Galatians 5. Right? Verse 14 says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law boils down to that. So Pastor Mark, I don't have much time. I need you to kind of condense this book into what is it really saying? Oh, let me, easy. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything summarizes into that. That's a quote from Leviticus 19. Let's go to Leviticus 19. Okay, the beginning of your Bibles, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And I love it. The quote is actually from verse 18, but I love that we're going to start in verse 9, and you'll see why. Leviticus 19, starting at verse 9. Now, when you reap the harvest of your land... Look at all these things we're to do for one another, right? When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal or deal falsely or lie to one another. You shall not swear falsely by my name so as to profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. Pay him right now. You shall not curse a deaf man, nor place a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall revere your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. You shall not go about as a slander among your people, and you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. In verse 18, you shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against us. And on and on it goes. Then he summarizes it and says, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus affirms that same scripture in Matthew... um, uh, where am I at my notes? Matthew 22 and Luke 10. Jesus says the same thing. 
So he affirms what Moses wrote back in Leviticus. So listen, to the degree that we, to the degree that we fulfill the whole law of loving our neighbor and serving our neighbor as ourself, or to the degree that we don't fulfill the whole law by loving our neighbor and serving our neighbor as ourself, that now becomes critical information, doesn't it? If the whole law is summed up in that, then how well we do that is now pretty important. Wouldn't you agree? It's the only way that you and I can assess our own spiritual health and maturity. And it's found in that measuring stick, how well do we love and serve one another? Turn to John chapter 8, a little bit to your left from Galatians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John 8, 31. So, when we are Christians, we are followers of Christ, or probably more appropriately, disciples, right? We're disciples of Christ. Well, how do we know if we're being good disciples? Well, Jesus is going to help us with that. Chapter 8, verse 31, where Jesus says, was saying to those Jews who had put their faith in him, he says, if you continue, a continual walking in obedience, if you continue in my word, that's when you are disciples of mine. Then you are truly disciples of mine. And what's the word all about? It's all summed up in love God and love others and serve others. Right? So if you want to abide by continually being in my word, that's what it's going to look like, and that we will serve and love one another. Turn to John chapter 13. A couple pages to your right. John 13, 35. He says the same thing differently. Jesus says, by this, all people, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now go back to Galatians 5. We see in Galatians 5 verse 14 how he words this. He says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word or one commandment in the statement, and then he lists the statement from Leviticus 19. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So let me ask you this. That statement, that statement in verse 14, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Does this statement describe the present condition of our world? Yes or no? Probably not. All right? Let's just go with no. Does this statement describe the present condition of our country, that we love our neighbor as ourselves? Let's go with a no. Does this statement describe the present condition of our state? Probably not. Here's the tough one. Does the statement describe the present condition of our church? That we love and serve one another. I, I, I lean more towards a yes. I'm thankful for that. We do that very, very well. But we need to be reminded that that's our calling. That if we want to obey God's word, the entirety of God's word, it all will manifest itself in loving and serving one another. And so maybe on a little bit more personal note, does the statement describe the present condition of you? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Because if you don't, then we won't be doing it as a church because the church is just made up of you and I, right? We get that, right? And so I wonder, if this statement doesn't describe you, what statement does? Right? If I were to say to Damien, Damien, does this statement summarize your life? And you said, no, maybe not. Probably doesn't. But if it didn't, 
I'd say, well, what statement does? I've had a lot of statements that describe my life that didn't read like this. I'm, I'm ashamed to say. I think it does now. And I hope it continues to be for you guys as well. If does this statement describe your life, and if not, you've got to work towards that. Amen? So that's our calling. Now we're going to look at our catalyst, the Holy Spirit. Let's read 16, 17, and 18 in Galatians chapter 5. But I say walk by the Spirit, and you won't carry out the desire of the flesh because they set their desires against each other, 17 says, so that we won't do whatever we want. And verse 18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 3. Go back to Galatians 3, verses 11 through 14. Let's read that real quick. Galatians 3, 11 through 14. Where Paul says, Now that no one is justified by the law or declared righteous, it's evident that the righteous man needs to live by faith. However, the law is not of the faith. On the contrary, if you practice the law, you will live or essentially die by the law. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us by being hung on a tree, the cross, in order that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to you and I, the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. So we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and He gives us the blessing, the promise of Abraham, which is the Spirit of God, so that we can now feed our spiritual nature, not our sinful nature. Got it? Okay, pretty simple. So, there's some huge implications. I'm going to give you three implications from this new life in Christ, this new reality. Here's the first one. Church, you are spirit-filled. That's what Galatians 3 said, right? That the promise and the blessing of Abraham was the Holy Spirit of God. You and I are spirit-filled. If we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are filled with His Spirit. Go to John 14. John 14, a little to the left. Have you noticed I'm not putting anything on the screen or having to turn to everything? I'm making up for last week. Making you guys work for it. This is awesome. John 14, verses 16 and 17. Where Jesus says, He knows His ascension to heaven is coming soon. He says, I'm going to ask the Father and He will give you another helper. Church, we need help. We need help. We cannot do it in our flesh. We can only do godly things with God's Spirit inside us to help us. It's the only way. And He will be with you when? On occasion? No, forever. And that is the Spirit of truth, verse 17 says, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him, but you know Him because He abides with you and will be with you. Go to Acts chapter 1, a few pages to your right. Acts chapter 1, verses 6, 7, and 8. So they had uh, come together and they were asking Jesus, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom? And he said, it's not for you to know. In verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We're, we're, we're trying to do too many things and we're powerless. We're just powerless. The Holy Spirit is the catalyst the power, the very substance of our God and King that enables us to do God-sized things for Him and for one another. I'm excited about that reality. To do big things, God-sized stuff, because His Spirit dwells within us. That's what I saw in this little town called Clarksville, Texas. God doing big things because people were submitting to the Spirit of God. 
So here's the reality. If you aren't experiencing the power of God somewhere in your life, then you need to examine why. You need to examine why. So, second implication. The first one is that you and I are Spirit-filled. The second one is you and I must walk by the Spirit. You and I must walk by the Spirit. That's what verse 16 says back in Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Verse 16 says, Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit. And so the implication of verse 16 is written the way it's implied to be written. He says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That's why we must walk by the Spirit, so we don't carry out the desire of the flesh. So the opposite implication is also true. If we walk by the Spirit, we won't carry out the desire of the flesh, so now the opposite is true. If we don't walk by the Spirit, we will carry out the desire of the flesh. That's it. Those are your two choices. There's not a curtain three. Curtain one, walk by the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Or curtain two, don't walk by the Spirit, and you will fulfill the desires of the flesh. That's it. Those are your two choices. Let's make a deal. And so this walk, walk by the Spirit, is a present imperative. It means to keep on walking. It never stops. Do we as disciples of Christ, as followers of God, do we live with a daily desperation, a a daily desire, and a daily dependency upon the Holy Spirit of God? Before our feet hit the ground, do we drop to our knees, if you will, and just say, I need you now, I'll need you this afternoon, I'll need you late morning, I'll need you during my lunch break? Do we have a daily desperate desire and dependency upon the Holy Spirit? I didn't used to. I do now. It's fantastic. It's hard. But it's so, it's, there's so much freedom. And so the results then of one path, right? If we don't depend on the Spirit, then we're going to live in the flesh. If we do depend on the Spirit, then we're going to live in the, in, the, in the spiritual nature. And so then we see that in the verses, whether we're either going to love and serve one another or we're going to bite and devour and consume one another and do whatever the heck we please. Ooh. And the rationale is found in verse 17. The rationale is of verse 16. He says the reason this happens in verse 16 is because the flesh will set its desire against the spirit and the spirit will set its desire against the flesh so that we don't do whatever the heck we want. Okay, so here's a reality check. As followers of Jesus Christ, listen, we can expect, you need to expect a lifelong battle and struggle for competing desires. That's what verse 17 says. Sorry, I don't have better news for you. But there's a good news, bad news kind of scenario here, right? Here's the good news. Listen. We all possess an incredible capacity to serve God and righteousness. That's what verse 17 says. All of us possess an incredible capacity to serve God and serve righteousness. That's the good news. You want to know the bad news? All of us possess an incredible capacity to serve sin and serve ourselves. That's the bad news. So on some level, I hope we can take relief knowing that that struggle's normal and there's nothing wrong with us. It's just verse 17 stuff. But the Holy Spirit allows us to yield to spiritual nature, not sinful nature. Amen? And so while the struggle may be difficult and complex at times, of course, 
thankfully that struggle exists or we end up at the end of 17 where we end up doing the things that we please. Can you imagine if all of us did the things that we pleased? Lord, help us. I can't even imagine what that would... How could you imagine that all of us did what we pleased? You know what I can imagine? If we loved and served one another. That actually doesn't seem so hard to imagine. The third implication is that you and I are to live godly lives. Verse 18 says, you are led by, if you're led by the Spirit, that's a godly life, and you're not going to be under the law or under the flesh. Listen, just as justification, being declared righteous, is not possible in our flesh or in our works, neither is sanctification. That cannot be achieved by human effort. It requires the Spirit of God. And so we put our faith, it doesn't release us from faith. We need to put our faith in Christ to save us and faith in the Holy Spirit to sanctify us. So we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and then the journey begins, right? So we have salvation and then God takes us on this journey until we die called sanctification. In both of those, we put our faith in Christ to save us and we put our faith in the Holy Spirit to sanctify us. The only way for us to live a godly life is to live a spirit-led life. The only way to love and serve God and to love and serve others is for you and I to live a spirit-led life. The only way that we bite and devour one another and consume one another and the only way that we do whatever we please is when we are walking according to the flesh, not the spirit. Lord, help us. Let me close with this and then I'm going to have the worship team come up in a second. Go back to verse 14. There's that command in all capital letters in my Bible from Leviticus that says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Moses wrote that in Leviticus. Jesus mentioned it in the Gospels. And Paul writes about it in his epistle. We can talk about many things that we do at church. We can launch many ministries. We can do classes to raise funds for Honduras. We can have a missions team, small groups, men's things, kitchen stuff, whatever. But if we ain't loving and serving one another, we ain't nothing. That's what it says. We're nothing. We're bound in the flesh. We're barren in the spirit, devoid of pleasing the Lord, and devoid of any impact in our world. May we never be extreme by way of legalism. May we never be extreme by way of license but may we always be extreme in our love and our service and our liberty to one another. Amen? Oh, Holy Spirit, come. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and have your way with us. It's the only ha- uh, hope we have, right? It's the only hope we have. Mm. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Good to be with you guys. Worship team, can you guys come up? They're going to close this in a song. Let me pray for our... Uh, our time. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We praise your mighty and holy name. We thank you, Lord, that not only did you save us, but you poured out your Holy Spirit to sanctify us. We thank you, Lord, that while there are two options, we can choose to be spirit-led instead of fleshly-led. Lord, we pray that you would just give us all that we need, and we thank you that you have by giving us your Holy Spirit as a promise and as a catalyst that we need to do incredible things for you. Father, we pray that you would be Uh, pleased with our church, be pleased with the lives that we lead as we depend upon you and are led by your spirit. It's in your mighty and precious and holy name we pray. And everyone said...